Canuck Central Monday. Happy Thanksgiving. Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.com. Net. Uh, I was at uh, Rogers Arena a couple days too early because uh, I got to Rogers Arena. A basketball game broke out last yeah. night. It was crazy. I saw. I saw on social media. I was going to ask you about that. Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was decent. I I, I tried to recreate the uh, the Chara photo with Marcus Camby. Yeah, Camby's taller than Chara. <laughs> <laughs> He's like massive. Six like eleven or oh. something. And I loved Marcus Camby. Sultan of SWAT. Uh, I loved Marcus Camby. I thought it was a. I, I was not happy actually when the when the Raptors. And I wasn't a Raptors fan really, yeah. but I'm like when they traded away Marcus Camby to the Knicks, I was like, why? Why are you trading away Marcus Camby? And then he had a great run with the Knicks yep. for a few years. I'm like, why? Why would you trade away Marcus Camby? Uh, defensive Player of the Year in 2007. But that's yeah. enough basketball talk here on uh, Canuck Central. It was. Uh, it was nice. I still think. A basketball team in Vancouver would do very well. Here, here. A lot of people would agree on that. All right, so it is opening week of the season. The Canucks are active. And one thing we knew when Jim Rutherford took over was, like, trades will happen. Yes. And trades. There will be trades. There will be (laughs) trades. And even though it's Patrick Alvin at the helm as the general manager of this club, he is – Taken a few pointers from his mentor in Jim Rutherford and not been afraid to wheel and deal. And we've seen that with the Canucks making the trade for Casey DeSmith earlier yeah. in training camp or just before training camp broke. And now yesterday acquiring Sam Lafferty from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for a 2024 fifth round pick. Uh, it, it felt strange when... It first dropped to me, Sat. I'm like, I I thought the Canucks felt pretty good about where they were, especially some of the forward options yeah. uh, and, and how Jack Studnika played and Nils Oman and some other players. But then you dig into it a little bit deeper and you can understand where the Canucks see value in Sam Lafferty and acquiring him to be a part of this roster. Well, and I think on the I think all along the priority has been to try to get better on the back end and still add depth on the back end. And I think even now the Canucks are still working on doing that. And we'll get to why they haven't picked anybody off waivers in, in just a minute or so here. But in, in terms of going after Lafferty, I also think that when it, when he became available, when the Leafs said, hey, we're willing to trade this guy, it was an opportunity that arose that I think they jumped on. Because one of the discussions we've had on this show since we came back was, do the Canucks lack some physicality. Did he lack another yeah. forward with some bite to his game? And clearly they do, right? And until we saw Studnika and Oman show a bit more through camp, my biggest question all along was like, who's who's the third? Who's the twelfth forward? And who yeah. do you have enough of different types of players? Because you have Bavilia, you have Garland, right? Suter's you have Hoaglander. No, you have so you have Hoaglander too. So you have these like skilled guys that can that fill your top nine essentially, right? And you have Phil DiGiuseppe, who's obviously playing on the second line wing. Just the next level. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's been playing like it. And and so you go through it and you're like, well, they have a lot of like skill guys. They don't have enough bite to the yeah. roster, right? And we looked at the free agent class this year and there weren't a lot of guys. Did you want to overpay for Ryan Reeves, for instance? You probably didn't want to. You still mm-hmm. wanted somebody that you could take a regular shift. And you don't want to pay too much for a so-called enforcer. And I think when a player like Lafferty was available, I think Vancouver jumped on it in terms of, we can't find a player like this. We've been looking for a player like this. You're not getting a player like this on waivers because there was interest in Lafferty and either he was getting traded for a fifth or a sixth 
or yeah. a seventh or something. He was getting traded for a draft pick, yeah. and the Canucks made the best draft pick available to get him for that fifth-round pick. So I do think they addressed an actual need we've all been talking about. And I think the question just comes down to, is this the right guy to fill that need, and is it worth the cost of acquiring the player to fill that need? More size and speed through the lineup is something the Canucks have obviously needed, and they sort of acquire both of those things in Lafferty, even as a bottom six player. The other part of this is more penalty kill ability. And now I know they did that. Like Suter can play the penalty kill. Bluger can play penalty kill. They added it in the off season, but something they've been missing since Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter have not been a part of this organization, a right shot center. That's pretty credible in the faceoff dot on the PK. Well, last year they had Curtis Lazar to start the season. They gave him a three-year deal, and then they punted on that at the trade yeah. deadline, and they acquired a fourth-round pick, which they have this year yeah. to uh, to get rid of Curtis Lazar. And he was a right-handed centerman who was supposed to give some bite and supposed to give them some penalty-killing chops, and he struggled on the PK, and he wasn't really able to create much of a physical presence consistently either, nor was he counted on to play center. Now, Lafferty's not an everyday centerman anyways, but he does something pretty effectively when he does play center and that is win draws yeah and we we've how many times have we had the discussion about the Canucks don't have enough right-handed centermen and also how hard it is to find right-handed centermen that win draws and I'm sure people saw a big po- tweeted out um the numbers for right-handed centermen yeah and and Rafferty I mean Lafferty Rafferty it was a throwback <laughs> to another Canuck back in the day also recently on waiver yeah he was Brogan Rafferty right-handed defenseman of that but you know big m- mentioned on Twitter Sam Lafferty was 20th last season minimum f- 30 face-offs and still active in short-handed face-off percentage 46 and a half percent and many players are either ahead of him or not available or don't you don't want to acquire because it costs too much only eight right-handed centermen across the entire NHL last year were over 50% on the PK. Only eight. So fewer than 10 right-handed centermen yeah. were over 50% on the PK. So getting a guy who's even top 20 is very hard to find. Again, we can quibble about the cost of acquisition, but it's more than just acquiring a fourth-liner who can throw some hits and has a little bit of speed. Like He does fill the physical need. Fills the size need to some extent. He does fill the speed need. And he also gives them an option they've been lacking. And that's a right-handed centerman who can win face-offs. You may mention Jack Studnika. And I'm a Studnika guy. I yes. was hoping that he'd, he'd be on the team too. But he hasn't been anywhere near as effective on the PK nor in the face-off circle as a righty who can't really play center as Lafferty has been. He's a clear upgrade in that role. And they are adding something that's hard to find across the league. It, uh, it could afford the Canucks the ability to at least spell JT Miller off of some PK minutes as well. We know, and we've discussed it through training camp, you know, as much as you added Teddy Bluger to this team and have done some different things, JT Miller was still likely to be the first guy over the boards to kill every penalty should he not be the guy headed to the box. Yeah. So, or, you know, on his shift more recently, but now that you do have a right shot, depending on which circle um, you know, the opposition chooses to want the face-off in, the Canucks at least have another option to go to. So I think that's something the Canucks personally need to do a little bit more of is try and spell JT Miller of some areas. It's not always easy, as we've seen coaches say that they were going to do that in the past, Rick Tockett included, and then not do it because yeah. JT is just – they see him as that valuable and uh, – this I don't I don't think it guarantees them the opportunity to do that, but at least in theory, it might 
allow them to spell JT Miller in the future. Yeah, I think it helps a little bit at least. And I think the biggest thing it helps with potentially here is you saw teams crush the Canucks on the PK winning faceoffs because they consistently, when especially teams that had a good right-handed centerman, they would consistently pick the right side to take faceoffs in, where the Canucks had the biggest issue with. And the Canucks would get crushed in that. So if Lafferty can at least hold his own in half of those situations potentially then I think it does give you a better chance to per- perhaps kill off the first 15, 20, 30 seconds of a PK, which they had a real hard time doing last season. Yep. It's one thing to, to be better in terms of killing a penalty with how you play, and I, and we can have a discussion about that too at some point here about how the Canucks PK looks a lot different, and it is it looks a lot, I'd say, better and cohesive than we've seen. But you still don't want, don't want to spend two minutes defending your own o- and your own end consistently on the PK. You want to be able to get enough wind draws and c- get some clears. So it is an underrated aspect that I do think is important. But I also think the fact that he can be he's fast and he's physical and he gets in on the forecheck, I, I think it gives the Canucks a dimension now on that line. Because now yeah. if you go Joshua, Bluger, and Lafferty, like that, that line's going to make you pay. Yeah. And the Canucks didn't have enough of that. So now you have a true checking line potentially. And even if Joshua can't do it and Oman comes in, you still have enough bite now, right? Whereas before, if Joshua is having a day where he's not playing at the best of his abilities, you literally had nobody else to give you bite in the bottom six. Yeah, and now you have a little bit of that with Sam Lafferty. Um, you think another move is coming? You alluded to it a little bit that they're still on the prowl or at least scouring to see what might be out there and available. I think they're trying. That's the word I got is like, I think they're active. And I even asked somebody from a different team and said like Vancouver's been active in, in scouring the D, like depth D market and everything. The reason I heard the priority hasn't been to pick somebody off waivers is there is a bit of a log jam already with their right. defensemen, especially depth defensemen. If you're looking at, okay, you need to have ice time to develop McWard. You need ice time. If Hiroshi goes down to develop him, for instance, Jet Wu, for instance, Philip Johansson, like go through the rest of pro- list of prospects. If you acquire another defenseman, you're going to have to, without getting rid of another defenseman, you're going to be in a situation potentially where a player like McWard or Breezebois when he's healthy, or perhaps even uh, one of your prospects like Johansson are going to be healthy scratches because they have Irwin there as well, right? Yeah. So I think there's a bit of an issue in terms of do do we have too many bodies to be able to have the right environment for development? So I think they love to move somebody out to move somebody in. Right. Can they get rid of a contract if they acquire a defenseman? And if they are maybe looking at moving a forward and a defenseman to get a defenseman? Like I think they're exploring different possibilities. But one thing I heard to keep in mind was if you just keep adding players off waivers, it creates a logjam, not only on your NHL team potentially, but more so if you're trying to develop players at at your AHL level. So I think that's part of the reason why they haven't been so keen on just picking somebody off waivers. Uh, Canucks have 46 contracts, but to that end... As an organization, they've talked so much about their player development. It's something yeah. that they've, uh, this front office has really prioritized, I believe, you know, and I think we've seen them make some strides in those areas. So if that's part of your plan and that's part of your ethos, then you kind of want to live up to that. So I can understand where that sentiment comes from. You want to do the draft pick thing? quickly on giving up a fifth round pick like where do you stand yeah. on giving up the fifth round pick because i know that's the that's 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 bringing up a, a pretty large level of consternation with a lot of fans um I, I view it as like i view it in the in the context of where this team is right now and that they are trying to build a playoff team maybe they feel certain pressures to build a playoff team because their star player is uncertain about his future here in this market. 
which is a valid reason to try and build the best team that you can and find ways to improve your team, even if it is on the margins and it's going to cost you any sort of a draft pick. You know, I get it. And it's still a lot of sort of overflow from the previous regime and everything that happened there. Draft pick PTSD. Yes, but... This team and this organization and certainly this front office has never BSed you about wanting to rebuild and accumulate draft picks and all these different types of things. They made it pretty clear it was always going to be a quick retool, and it's because you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. So I just I can't I can't really get fully invested in the draft capital conversation because I understand what this organization, what this front office is trying to do. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's part of it. I think what you need to do, and I think they've at least done it to some extent. I want to see them do it more, especially when you have seven UFAs to be at the deadline. And I'm yep. not saying go full sell if you're in your, you're trying to build, but something we've been outlining quite a bit consistently, you can still contend being a playoff spot and move guys to do other things, right? And one thing they have done, and I agree, like I, I, you know, I'd rather see them not trade. Like they haven't had a second round pick, what, in three, four straight years now, whatever it is. Like I'd, I'd rather not see that, right? Yeah. I don't want, I don't like seeing you not having enough second round draft picks. But they have acquired a couple thirds. They've acquired a few, like three fourth round picks, right? I think they're minus two picks in total after making all the trades. They got the first, you know, they traded away the first for Heronic. Yeah. But like if you go through the calculus, they traded away two second round picks, but they've acquired three-fourths, right? They've acquired two-thirds. I think if you go through the entire the, the entire makeup of it, they're minus two picks total with, of, with all the picks they've made. But at least they've been replenishing with some picks. They had two-thirds last year. They had the extra fourths last year in the draft, right? They have an extra fourth this year despite the fact not having the fifth. And I love to see them add more with the group of players they have because I think one thing you need to do and I hope to see them do is if you are seeing, seeing some improvements from your defense, let's say McWarb takes a step then don't be afraid to trade Myers, right? Yep. If you see put Coles and take a step, then trade Bovillier, you know, yep. and maybe you use those assets to get somebody else or you have internal options coming up and then just trade those guys, get a pick back in return, and then you go and rely on your younger guys. I think you can buy yourself time and do that. That's what I want to see them continue doing. So I'm not, I'm, I don't have an issue with you trading picks, but I think you need to keep replenishing your draft picks. And I think they need to, and I think they showed this last yep. couple of years. They traded, what, uh, Hamannick? A third, and they went and acquired Dermot. So they shifted. They got well, an asset kind of shifted the asset. You know, the, the the big conversation that everybody keeps saying is like, "Oh, trading a fifth round pick in a vacuum, it's fine. Like it's fine." But when you put it in this context of how many picks the Canucks have traded over the years, then it, it's not fine. But if you're paying attention to how this organization, at least this front office, has managed some of these trades these trades aren't happening in a vacuum either, right? Like they moved Dickinson had to attach a second round pick. They got Riley Stillman back, turned that into Josh Bloom. Like there are, and they use a the space they had to go and get Ethan there. Although they gave up a fifth round pick to get it. Yeah. So they like, they have generally, you know, like picks aren't happening in a vacuum. They see where they can add picks in the future or add a piece in the future that maybe replenishes that, Akito Hirose, Cole McWard, Philip Johansson, Nils Oman, all these guys were free agent signings that the Canucks brought in that are similar to mid-round draft choices. Hell, Nils Oman has already performed better than most fifth-round draft picks would end up performing for yeah. any organization. So to that end, you know, I 
given that they have done things elsewhere to make up for the loss of draft capital, it doesn't bother me as much as it would have in the past with the previous regime. I'm fine with it as long as they keep doing that. Yeah. You know, like I'm okay with you giving up this fifth. If you are able to accrue more as time goes on, just keep doing that. You know what I mean? Um, I I think that's where it's at more than anything else. And, you know, I think somebody made the point here, uh, you know, these days a fifth round pick is worth more about the same (laughs) as large dry dry age ribeye and Tyler says how many players after the second round are everyday players that's the problem with that logic and somebody else said the trade is okay but it does show a lack of depth and confidence in the organization it does and it also shows a lack of depth and confidence in the players who were here before this regime took over number one they didn't have enough draft picks to begin with which again I get the argument you're like well if they didn't have more enough draft picks to begin with why are you trading way more draft picks and that's a fair point but it's to your point it's about replenishing your system as well right so when Rathbone hasn't been anything, and he was supposed to be the next defenseman, yeah. which now that forces you to go up and ask us to do something else, right? Put Coles in a Hoaglander. They haven't done anything, yeah, right? So those two guys, that makes you have to go out and explore different things. Even now, you can criticize them and say, well, you gave up a Myron Burke to get Jack Studnika, mm-hmm. and you didn't have the fortitude to just rely on and see, like, let's see what he can do. You already punted on that to go and get Lafferty. To me, that's a fair point. Like, you, you believed in this player— and now you're saying we don't quite believe as much in him, that we're willing to trade another draft pick and expose this guy to waivers? So that one I can say, okay, well, that's a, that's a move you made for a player that didn't work out, at least the way you saw it. Well, right? to me, it shows they feel pressure to be good right of now. Of course. Of yeah. course they do, right? But, but I more think- than, like, we don't have, we can't afford to take the chance that this guy develops into the player we want him to be. Absolutely. Now, I do think, like, the guys who've been here, too, like, through this, they didn't have enough. And yeah. I think when, especially when a couple of guys fail to launch, Mm-hmm. And you saw even this off season and this training camp, a lot of guys kind of fail to show a little bit of something. I think it puts more pressure on them to go and find some external answers. But that's kind of where they're at. I, I just hope they continue doing the things they show they're willing to do. Don't be afraid of trading assets, even if you're in a playoff spot. And then try to replenish your system, try to add more. Because you're not trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. You're trying to make the playoffs, but you're yeah. also trying to give yourself the best chance possible to build a cup contender in a year or two. It's hard to do it both ways, but I think you have to you have to take advantage of some of your UFAs at the deadline. And I think there are ways you can do that, especially if, especially if, whether it's Max Sasson, who may be asking a lot, whether it's Johansson, whether it's McWard, even just give me one defenseman, Dan. Give me one. Can you yeah. get McWard or Hirose, one of these guys, to be an everyday player by the end of the season or yeah. by the time the trade deadline comes? And if that's the case, you got to go move a guy like Myers. Uh, uh, the, the, the thing that you mentioned that that I guess would tick me the most is the second round draft choices. You know, yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth. Uh, I, I think the you second's more than those. anything. It's the second it's, is more it's than anything. It's the seconds that hurt the most because those are generally where you can find some pretty damn good players. You have a better chance of finding a pretty damn good player in the second round. And also their trade capital can be highly valuable, which at least in one of those trades, the Canucks acquired a big time, or at least they hope, a big time right shot defenseman in Philip Peronic. We'll we'll table the draft conversation for just a moment. It's going to be in the Monday menu, which we might have to get to a little bit later in the show. But Elliot Friedman, thirty-two thoughts on Elias Patterson. So uh, thirty-two thoughts. Their preseason run through of all thirty-two teams in yeah. the National Hockey League, and we thought it would be fairly quiet. Uh, mostly some notes on the Canucks acquiring Sam Lafferty, but nope. Elliot Friedman went in on his take of what's happening with the Canucks and Elias Pettersson in their contract negotiation. 
I mean, the whole thing was absolutely bananas last year in Vancouver. It was just one fire after another fire. This year, they've had kind of a quieter preseason. They've already made a couple moves between Lafferty and DeSmith. But things generally seem calmer, and we'll see how long that lasts. I mean, the whole Pedersen thing looms large. I think that all takes care of itself. If they have a good season, that takes care of itself. If they convince him he's on the way, and you know what? Like The other thing I would have to say here, and the Pedersen piece, I believe, is going to air on October the 21st. But the thing I'll say here is that What's been interesting about it is since Pedersen came out and said, I'm not sure yet, I think the Canucks have also kind of indicated, you know what, we're not sure either. Because if there's any doubt that Pedersen wants to make a commitment, I'm not convinced that they want to make a commitment. So this will be a fascinating development. So there is Elliot Friedman. Not convinced the Canucks want to make the commitment on Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and I mean, listening to Elliot and the way he mentioned it, and he also said, you know, like, um, if Pettersson doesn't want to commit to the Canucks, the Canucks are not sure if they want to commit to Pettersson, which is kind of like, you know, we, we were joking about that. It's like, well, well, if you don't want to be with me, then I don't want to be with you anyways, right? Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of that to some extent. But one thing I do know is, like, they did discuss contract at some point this season. And I don't think the Canucks were again signing to a contract. And like I mentioned before, the biggest hurdle here was the Canucks didn't put a contract in front of him that was this big, big mega deal. You know, I kind of heard that it, around the discussions, it was kind of around the Aho money potentially. I kind of mm-hmm. heard like, and, and again, like I, I, I haven't heard that there were any actual hard offers made, yeah. but more like parameters were discussed. And, and I heard like the Aho extension, which is, you know, under 10 million per season, was kind of like, you know, ballpark, 78 million total value. Kind of like ballpark of perhaps what we're looking at here potentially. And Pedersen, I think it's clear, views himself in that higher category, 11, 12 million potentially. And I think all along, like I mentioned before, I don't think the Canucks are ready to make that type of offer. At least not yet. They weren't. Yeah. So that's where it all, like even Pedersen's side, the reason I think everything kind of went quiet was, well, let's see how this plays out. Because unless you guys make me this mega contract, I'm not sure I want to commit to anything yet yeah. and the Canucks are saying well if you don't want to commit anything if you're not sure you want to commit to us we're not sure we want to make that mega contract offer to you yet so like we'll kind of see where this goes but all along it was pretty clear the Canucks were not I don't think ready to put that huge contract in front of them and I think that's part of like letting this play out and do the Canucks make another run at this at some point early in the season I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens as well but that's kind of how I saw it I don't think the Canucks have been reluctant to talk contract with them I think they've been reluctant to make the type of huge offer that we're talking about here and I think that's what Paris is trying to set himself up for, have another mega year. And then it's like, well, now you can write your own check. My uh, my read has, has long been Pedersen wants to prove to be a $12 million player. Top five expensive contract in the league in that range, potentially. Probably needs to have another 100-point season to do that. But you stack back-to-back 100-point seasons as a 25, 26-year-old, you're – you're going to be in that range, especially with the cap going up to $87 million, we think, next year. Now, is it – if Pedersen has that big year, though, are you paying him more because you could have got him a bit cheaper? Like, could, do you, could you have signed him for 11 and change versus having to pay him 12 and change? Yeah. And is it worth it 
to just get ahead of it and do that. I wonder about that. Like I said, my whole thing has been go out and sign Patterson. Yep. Make him the offer you can. Give him the Darlene contract. Give him the, even the Pasternak contract. Yeah, figure it out. Get him signed and then figure it out from that point. That's what I would do. That's what, what I would like to see happen. And ultimately, we'll see what goes on. But I think Elliot is right. I don't think the, the organization has been ready to make the type of whatever you need offer to stay. Yeah. And it's like, well, let's kind of see how this plays out. And and one thing I do understand, if a player, let's say the player says, I'm not sure I want to stay here. And then you just give him all the money to stay. Does he, you know, knock on the door in like six months and say, ah, this isn't working. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying the Canucks shouldn't do it anyways. My point being like, I think there's a little gray area here in terms of how these things unfold. But I think Elliot's absolutely right. I don't think the team has been willing yet to fork over the type of contract it would take to perhaps get him to think about signing. Um, in a, in a sense, so you're not convinced you want to stay in Vancouver long term, but you need $96 million to change your mind? <laughs> or you really are believing in the project that we're trying to build around you? And maybe, maybe it is that to some yeah. extent, but I do know that if they trade Patterson, I don't see a way around it. Yeah. Like, I think if we get to that point where they trade Patterson, it's all over, guys. Yeah. You know, like, I think it's going to take too long for you to be able to find somebody who's at that level anyways. And are you going to be able to find that guy at that level quick enough while you still have Demko and Hughes? So to me, it's like, if you get to that point anyways, it's like, close up shop. And I don't mean like, you know, fool the team, but it's like, now we can talk about it's going to take five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years perhaps to, rebuild, to turn around. The rebuild, and honestly, the guys, when you talk about a rebuild, everyone points to the Buffalo Sabres, right? What year did you draft Rasmus Dahlin? Ah. Uh. It was uh, 2018. 2018, right? Yeah. It's five years ago. Yeah. When did they trade for Tage Thompson? Was 2017? Yeah. That was the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Right. So, <laughs> like, that's going to take... So, for them, and this is like the... Re, they've been rebuilding the rebuild. It's been it's going to be six years since they drafted Rasmus Dahlin and then making the playoffs, potentially. Yeah. And that's just making the playoffs. And, and you know what? And the rebuild didn't start with Rasmus Dahlin. Yeah. These things take a long time. So my point being, we get to that point, there's no like, we're going to rebuild and be good in four or five years. It's not like that. No, the Sharks are five years away, at least. Uh, even the, the Buffalo Sabres, I might not have them in my playoff picks, which we'll get to later in the show. Predictions as we are on <laughs> yeah. the eve of the NHL season opener. We'll also have the Monday menu at some point as well. But up next, it's Don Taylor joining us on Canucks Central. We'll hear from Donnie next on Sportsnet 650. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Show. The Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, even on Thanksgiving, is fired up. 
Why is there so much consternation over Pedersen? Isn't it reasonable for the Canucks to tell Pedersen to demonstrate you're worth 11 or $12 million and then agree to pay him that? I mean, if you look at it from a merit standpoint, right? But also if you look at it from like making a bet on a player standpoint, the reason why you make that type of bet on a player before he's truly proven it is you get him signed and locked and delivered. Yeah. And also potentially get him signed for a little bit less than what he would have got until he proves to you that he's that guy. So I understand the point, and it's a fair point. But the reason why you make the bet is so you get ahead of it, Yeah. if you're right. Now, that's why you call it a bet. You could be wrong, but that's where it's at. It's uh, As the old saying goes, you don't want to pay players for past performance because now you're paying them for their future performance. And Pedersen looks to be a player that will be worth 11 or $12 million for a few years yet. At least in my estimation. Let's bring in our next guest. He's great with his predictions. He's the legend. It's Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon, Check TV, Monday through Friday. What's happening, Donnie? What predictions have I made that have ever come true? Like I'd love I, to start there. I, I, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm blanking right now. I was just there you go. I was trying yeah. to be a nice guy. You know, I was trying no, to like. I appreciate uh, it. It was a, pre- it was a good segue. <laughs> I admired the great broadcast segue, yeah. so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah, Donnie <laughs> didn't let the truth get in the way of a good uh, bit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's another day that ends in Y. So there's more uh, curiosity about what's going on with Elias Patterson. It's uh, it's our pal Elliot Friedman that started this. Yeah. In, uh, the latest 32 <laughs> thoughts. I guess I guess we shouldn't be surprised with the way uh, Elliot has stirred the pot in Vancouver in recent years, but. Um, it is interesting to hear that you know the Canucks may have their own um, may have their own worries about signing Pedersen long term. Yeah, and you know Elliot and Elias are boat buddies, so we know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so what, what doesn't he know about uh, uh, Elias Pedersen? It is interesting, and I mean it's funny. Like just as somebody who's followed this team for so long, the first thing I thought of when I saw. Uh, you know, Shifley and Hellebuck sign was, well, okay. You know, what does that mean for Pedersen? I think it's going to, it's going to happen with every signing and until, until Pedersen actually signs in Vancouver, like, Oh, how does this relate uh, uh, to, to uh, Leas Pedersen? Of course, they're going to be worried. 102 points last year. Um, uh, he's an outstanding player. He's one of their stars. No question about it. And, you know, uh, guys, uh, we know and love Elliot. And if he says something, usually it's there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of foundation to it. So I believe anything that guy comes up with. Yeah. And, and he mentioned, too, that he, he his feeling is as long as the team gets off to a decent start, it's going to work out and they'll, you know, they'll take care of it. Pedersen will stay. They'll sign Pedersen. And I think this all comes down to the same thing. I don't think Elliot is wrong, but. This team needs to get off to a good start. They can't have another bad year because if they have a bad start and it's clear this season's going to go sideways before November even, then it's all over, right? I think we all kind of understand that if you yeah, get to that point, that's going to happen. So it's, I think that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Like just don't, just don't suck this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like pretty much every yeah. year. But this is that start and again. I'm just, you know, everybody in this town is so worried about that, and and including the Canucks themselves that. You know, yeah, yeah, you play your first game against Edmonton. They have a guy named McDavid, another guy named Dreisaitl in their lineup. They're pretty good. A lot, a lot of people think they're cup contenders. And then you go on a five-game road trip. That includes a, a game against Edmonton in a couple of days after the home opener. I mean, man, it just seems to be set up for another poor start. But, you know, uh, again, Demko healthy, talk it. 
you know, established as a head coach that the management believes in. Things, I, I think an improved roster, you know, improved penalty killing, you would think. I think they're better than last year. So you'd think they'd get off to a better start. But does a better start, you know, like what does a better start mean? Uh, so they're, you know, two and four to start or three. Is that enough to convince Pat Pedersen uh, to stay if it, if it continues along those lines? I I don't really know. It's just really, really interesting. And, and a large part, guys, because uh, more interesting today, because I didn't think Shifley and Hellebuck were going to stay in Winnipeg. Nobody did. I, I know very people who said this is, this is a done deal. I mean, you know, who doesn't leave Canadian cities these days as, as UFAs, but they stick around and that makes things really interesting for the Canucks. But yeah, that's, you know, and then they get off to a bad start. Then the questions start coming from the media. That's our job to bring up that subject. You know, what does that mean for Pedersen? If they start out, you know, 3-10, and 10, what does that mean? Uh, it's a, it could be a real mess. I, I will say this, though. You know, for all the talk about players not wanting to play in Canadian markets, I think it's true as long as they feel like they have options where they can go elsewhere and get more money or as much money. And when it becomes pretty clear that no team was knocking down the door to go out and get Shifley, right? Clearly, because yeah. nobody traded for him. Nobody was really bending over backwards to go and get Hellebuck and sign him to a big contract. So I'm sure Hellebuck looked at it and said, yeah, maybe I'd like to go somewhere else, but you know what I'd like more than going somewhere else? Ma- yeah, making $61 million over the next seven years, right? So, yeah. So, and, and I think at the end of the day, even look at Calgary. Like, It wouldn't shock me if they signed Hannafin, who really wanted out, because nobody went out to get Hannafin. He probably knows that if I was that good or if I had all these other options, why did somebody not trade for me already? So do I say no to a big contract extension? At the end of the day, Donnie, I think it all comes down to money as long as players yeah. don't have better options. Yeah, and even if you know there's more taxes and uh, you know you you get ripped in by the media, more attention. Uh, look at look, uh, uh, you know on, on that more than you would in an American uh, city. But uh, I mean, look at their ages. Uh, you know, th- those guys are you know, uh, are they in the back end of their careers? They're certainly not. I, I wouldn't call them young. And they're getting these you know multi-year, seven-year deals. Like where else? Are they, where else were they going to get that? I, you know, it, it just, I, I think it eventually just the reality of the situation and their age played a part in this is, okay, this sounds good. I'm, I'm going to stick around here. So that, that definitely played a part. So that makes it different than, than Elias Pettersson, among other things. They were, they were going to be UFAs versus RFAs and a lot older than, than Pettersson, relatively speaking. So yeah, a little bit different, but it's hard not to make the comparison. It's Don Taylor, our guest here on, uh, on Canuck Central. Uh, what would you make of the uh, Sam Lafferty acquisition from the Canucks yesterday. Well, I'm not going to sit here pretend I'm a Sam Lafferty uh, expert. All those Leaf games you watch, Donnie, you know. Well, 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 who didn't, right? (laughs) Every Saturday night, right? But, but, um, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend I'm a Sam Lafferty expert to this point. Um, so they make the deal. I'm in, I'm in the car with my, my youngest kid, Quinn, we're going to minor hockey to, to a game last night. And or, or yesterday, he says, oh, the Canucks just got the Sam Lafferty guy from Toronto. And I jokingly said, <laughs> how many years did he spend at the Pittsburgh organization? You know, I, you know I'm not going to sit here and pretend I, I know I should know. And then I find out he did spend years in the Pittsburgh organization. Like I yep. jokingly said that. And then you look at it. He, he's a guy who wins face-offs in the PK and he's a good penalty killer. And there, there, there seems to be something there. He's a solid NHL player, so 
you versus a later round draft pick, which they, they gave up. Okay. I, I guess it kind of makes sense, but the whole Pittsburgh connection, I just wonder how much people are getting a little, little tired of that. I just laughed. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And I think ultimately, you know, the biggest reaction people have had about this trade is the Canucks giving up yet another draft pick. And I think we all agree a fifth round pick is yeah. not the, that big of a deal. But I think ultimately, Donnie, we've had this discussion before, and even before the show began, I was yeah. bemoaning to Dan that I'm like, I really don't feel like having this conversation about a rebuild, retool, and stocking draft picks because it's clear that's not what they're doing. And I think there will be confidence in these types of moves if the team has success yeah. again. Aren't we there now? I know we said the same thing about the Pedersen thing, but... At the end of the day, for people to believe that you're doing the right thing, trading traffic, so you have to have success. And I think we're there now. I, I'm, t- I'm tired of having the same combos. I think we all have the same opinions. It doesn't change. Just be good, for goodness sakes. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, I, I think, too, when people complain about this, I don't think they would complain as much. I'm talking about people who are Canuck fans and the media, you know, us included. I don't think people would complain or criticize as much if moves like this didn't seem exactly the same as the Benning regime. And that's, and maybe that's not true. Maybe they're doing a better job. We don't know. It's, it's relatively new in their, in their tenure here. But we don't really know how these guys are going to pan out. But the moves just seem the same as the previous regime. And, you know, there's one thing that hasn't changed, and that's at the ownership level. But the moves just seem very, very similar. And I think that's really frustrating for people. You know, getting these, um, I, you know, I guess I, I don't think it's, it's not an insult. Journeyman NHL players. And giving up draft picks. And it's, it's just, just sounds very, very familiar. And that's frustrating for people. And all of it can go away if they perform on the ice. But for right now, I understand why people would criticize. It, uh, as Sat mentioned, you know, it all comes down to whether or not the Canucks are going to be good this year. So it's prediction time. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Canucks going into this season, Donnie? I think they'll fight for a playoff spot. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. And I, I, I think Calgary will be, will be better now that, um, now that they've moved on in the coaching department. You look at that division, like do they finish top three in that division? I, I can't see that. So um, not with the Stanley Cup champs there, the Oilers there, Flames improved, the Kings just seem to do a lot of right things. So that means a wild card spot. I just, I, 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 look, I want it to happen. I'm, I'm, somebody goes way back with this team. I just, if I, you know, I had to put my feet to the fire, given the strength of that division, I just, I just, at the top end anyway, I just can't see it. I I, I can't see it. I, you know, I'd love it for the Canuck fans, but I just can't see it at at this point. So in terms of the rest of the conference, though, kind of looking at the Pacific division, is is that the is I mean outside of you know the Eastern Conference, of course, but like, do you look at the Pacific as being just too hard of a division for this team? Considering that there's, you know, there's, you know, L.A., obviously Vegas and Edmonton, and then you still have Seattle yeah. and Calgary. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even mention Seattle. And, you know, it's funny, people maybe, they don't, what are you talking about? Seattle? They finished 17 points ahead of the Canucks. And, and they won a playoff round and took Dallas to seven in, in, in round two. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real team there. That's, a, you know, in, in, in impressive, in, in impressive team going into its third year of existence. I didn't even talk about them. I just can't see the Canucks finishing top three. Um, you know, Seattle aside, I just mentioned L.A. I think Calgary's, Calgary has to be uh, better. There's always a surprise, and Calgary was a surprise last year not making it. But I can't see them finishing top three. So, again, you, I, I'm repeating myself here, and I apologize for that. Again, you go go uh, look at the wild card situation. Yeah, may, maybe it happens. The reality is, too, we don't really know much. I mean, we know 
we know about the, the stars. We know about Miller and, and, and Pedersen, a healthy Demko, and a, about Quinn Hughes. We don't really know a whole lot about how sturdy this team is going to be. So maybe they'll surprise us. But again, I'm going to say that uh, I just think it's just a tough, tough go. I, I think it's uh, sort of indicative of, of where this team is right now. You know, the the acquisition of Sam Lafferty, the Teddy Bluger, and, and everything they did over the summer, Donnie. It's like, we, we need to improve around the margins. We need to improve our penalty mm. kill. And, you know, that's kind of the thing. Like, uh, it, if your penalty kill is the worst in the league again, <laughs> I... I I mean, it would defy all odds for them to be the worst penalty kill in the league again. It, they can't be historically bad as they were in the last two years. I mean, I guess they could, but it would just be, I, I mean, it would be unbelievable if it happened again. No, I, I, I totally agree. And like you just said, it's not just the last year. It's the, year, the season before that. This has gone on for a long time, and they you can't criticize them for, for um, you know, not going out of their way to try to improve this. Right, they've you know they've got Cole, they, they've got uh, Susie in, injury aside, you know Bluger, uh, Lafferty's a penalty killer guy who wins a little thing, not not a little thing, but he wins faceoffs on on the PK. They're, 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 they've gone out of their way to do that. Will it mean you know something? In, in, I, like like you say, Dan has to. You would think it would just it just it would be impossible for them to be that bad, you know, three four years in a row. Yeah, I just I just can't see it. So. Um, that, you know, you, you improve your PK. That is that is just that is just massive. You'd have to think they're going to be better, and they've addressed it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will give them that. Uh, before we let you go, Donnie, the NBA yeah. was back at it again yesterday in Vancouver. Dan went and watched the game uh, for the Raptors playing the Sacramento Kings. I mean, the crowd looked pretty good. They had a few chants going. Out. You know, it, it looked pretty decent. You know, where are mm-hmm. you at in terms of, I know it probably won't happen, but hypothetically speaking, like where are you at in terms of maybe the NBA coming back to Vancouver? Oh, man, I just love to see it. I, I really, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, reporting back in those days and, um, so saw so many NBA games uh, in Vancouver. It was just a great experience. They didn't win, and they were hamstrung by the a- a- NBA. And, and David Stern, the late great David Stern, admitted that he he made a mistake when it came to the, uh, restricting, uh, you know, how high they could draft for the first five years. I- I'd love to see them come here and and, and have a chance to be competitive or to be competitive uh, period. I, I, I just would, I would love to see it. I'd love to see how Vancouver would react. I think, you know, the three of us and anybody involved in the media, anybody who cares about sports in this uh, town would love to see them love to see this city um, have uh, an NHL team and an NBA team, CFL and, you know, another team to cover and to, and to dive deep into. It was really fun for those six years. I miss going to the games. I miss talking about, you know, the, the Grizzlies. Um, not at all that was positive, but I just, it was just such a great experience. I'd, I'd love to see it come back and, and see how the city would react if, and it's a big underline there, capital I-F, if, if they could be competitive, because we never saw that here. Gravy on the turkey or cranberry sauce? Uh, probably both, but if I had to pick one, I'm going cranberry at my age. Got to stay away from the gravy. Not that oh. not that cranberry is much better, but you know, I think it's I think it's the lesser of two evils. <laughs> Would have pegged you as a gravy guy, uh, Donnie. Appreciate the time as always. Okay, anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Yeah, uh, more uh, more bad predictions on my part. So uh, we'll get some more of those coming up uh, in the next segment of the show. But there is uh, Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, ten to noon on Check TV. 
Also, you hear them on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, along with uh, every Monday here on Canuck Central with Don Taylor. Uh, all right, let's get to it. It's the Monday menu. Ah, sizzling. The sizzle on the menu. Is that a good thing as in you're on the menu and sizzling or we're like, you're just, we're sizzling you off the menu. You're going to burn this off. You could choose to use that sound in whichever which way you want. It is the Monday menu uh, where we go through uh, who is cold and returning to the kitchen, who is heating up and simmering, or who is on fire and is the main course of the meal right now for the Vancouver Canucks each and every week. And since it is uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we'll start with the main course. Start with some positives here, Sat. And, I mean, at first you would have thought Phil DiGiuseppe was probably a, a nice little side. You know, maybe some Brussels sprouts or some mashed potatoes. But he's been so good this preseason. Phil DiGiuseppe was basically the turkey of the Canucks preseason. Oh, he's the turkey, he's the stuffing, he's the mashed potatoes. <laughs> he's been everything. He's been everything. He's the only been thing, everywhere. The only thing he hasn't been has been the pumpkin pie. Yeah, he scored again on Friday. <laughs> he was and has been a lot of fun. And uh, was the first star, got to talk to the crowd, tried to remind everybody he thinks he's a pretty good player too, you know. <laughs> um, it, it's it's pretty incredible what Phil DiGiuseppe has done. And uh, you know what? There's a lot of room for uh, – uh, maybe some uh, business deals with Italian restaurants around town for Phil DiGiuseppe. I think so. I think there is a, there are, there's a lot of potential here for Phil DiGiuseppe. I don't I know mean, if I'll get any kickbacks on that, but, Phil, we should do this together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably do. You probably have earned a little bit of kickback here from Phil DiGiuseppe. No, nobody's given the positive propaganda as much as you have. But honestly, I don't even call it propaganda anymore. Like He's, yeah. like, <laughs> he's been fine. He's been good. Canucks and Canucks and cars. It'll be Canucks and Spros with uh, Dan and and Phil. <laughs> you know what? You, you got to. We got to talk to the team. But that's got to be a bit. Canucks and Spros, reach and PDG. Let's do it. Uh, you, you guys know my number. Uh, all right. So Phil DiGiuseppe is on the main course, and I think these next two go together that are also on the main course: the Canucks PK and Sam Lafferty. Yeah, I mean the PK. Uh, I think if you're taking away something positive from special teams it's hard to tell with this power play yet uh, but i think the pk especially man one thing i love and i was getting really sick and tired of watching the previous pk where you know the defensemen were static one of the fours were static and there was essentially one forward you know essentially you know like a bat out of hell trying to cover both points and going back and forth and they just ended up just being very static and oftentimes you saw that i'm not having the sticks in the right lanes yeah but now you see how they will move and rotate the defensemen sometimes will end up going to the point and then the forward will, will go down and, and cover the, the, the defensive spot. Like You see them kind of go in a circle in many ways. They don't go full circle. They go half circle, right? No. The defensemen's not going to end up on the second point. But oftentimes you'll see the forward and the D-man rotate if the rotation happens. And they're just so much more cohesive when they do that. And they do it with having the sticks in the right lanes. Seams aren't opening up. We'll see what happens in the regular season. But just from how they're executing their PK, it's been huge. Now you add a right-handed centerman in Lafferty. Not so easy for uh, the opposition to get the cross ice pass. Yeah, when that's what killed them. Like last, yeah. it was all the seam pass last. It was seam pass after seam pass after seam pass, uh, and it was uh, mistakes from everybody. So Sam Lafferty probably helping the Canucks PK, which has been very good and one of the big positives out of the Canucks preseason. Uh, simmering. Uh, we're gonna put Akito Hirose here. He is back up with the team. Uh, this is like uh, when 
the unexpected cousin brings like a dozen of Lee's donuts to Thanksgiving dinner. That's that's kind of what happened here with Akito Hirose. You were all, you were all kind of like, oh, he didn't make the team. And here comes back Akito Hirose with a chance to play on the opening night roster. And this is the funny thing because they did challenge him a little bit. They wanted him to, you know, he can get a little bit stronger. He can, yeah. you know, there's another level of phys- physical preparation he can do. But now you're getting a chance, at least unless the Canucks make another addition here before Wednesday. But it looks like he's getting a chance. And honestly, I can see him hanging in. Yeah. Like if he plays well, they're not going to take him out of the lineup. It's uh, it's going to be interesting with Akito Hirose because you know he is the one that seems to have the most upside of some of those left shot D vying for the spot on the team. Uh, all right, return to kitchen. Yeah, it's a little sad. Jack Studnika. Jack Studnika um, started hot. Started on the main menu. Looked like he was going to make it in. Yeah. And if it, if it wasn't for the acquisition of Sam Lafferty, he would have made it in. Mm-hmm. And you could hear the voice, uh, Rick Tockett's voice yesterday. Yeah, Rick he was Tockett. Kind of, he was, was kind of little, like he was a little. I mean, he was really upset. He wanted about to Oman. reward the guy. He really. I mean, he liked Studnika, but he said like, if Olms, Olms would have been here, Oman, he would have played <laughs> in the opening night. But we know with him, it's very much cap related. He's yes. going to be back as soon as they can. I think. Whereas Studnika, especially now you add Lafferty, I think it's going to be harder for him to work his way back in. So a little bit disappointed for my son. Uh, the injuries, Guillaume Brisbois, uh, Carson Soucy, makes things a little bit uh, interesting for the Canucks on the cap going into opening night. Yeah, and thanks for not adding Christian Willen. And I couldn't, I can't do I like know. actual tears during the show. Yeah, it would be it would be too too <laughs> tough for Sat to, to add Christian <laughs> Willen in here. And finally, uh, returning to kitchen, the Canucks 2024 draft class hasn't even been <laughs> drafted yet. But everybody's out on it. <laughs> okay. Because so, they're minus one pick. Okay, okay. You know what? Do uh, people realize they're minus one pick. It's not the end of the no, world. No, it's not. It's not. You're right. But they don't have a second. And they haven't had a tough. and they haven't had a it's second since like 1982 or whatever it was. Since like it seems draft, like <laughs> was it since they drafted Nils? Nils yeah, Hoaglander. Is the last time I had a second round it's pick? 2019. That's a long time. A pandemic ago. happened ha- hadn't happened at that. Point. There was a wormhole that happened. <laughs> like I don't know what's happened since then. But no, like I, I think. The second round pick hurts, but but if they've already shown they're not afraid to trade in a second, they trade a fifth, which I don't think shows you're, you know, one way or another whether you're going to trade a higher draft pick, but do you, would you put it past them that they trade the first at some point this year? That's why I'm down with the return to kitchen. I'm not saying yeah. they will, but depending on what happens, like what if the right player comes available and right age range and this team's kind of hot and they feel like they can make that addition on the back end potentially, like I'm not putting it past them. Yeah, I'm not putting it past them. So I, that's why I do buy the return to kitchen on the fir- on the uh, 2024 <laughs> draft class. Uh, we do it uh, in jest a little bit. And, of course, there's always that little worry that Canucks may get a little ahead of themselves on some, some, on some things. We'll see how it plays out. That is the Monday menu here on the eve of the regular season. We'll get to our predictions for the upcoming year next on Canucks Central. Central in the Kintec studio. We'll take you right up till 2.30 here on this uh, Thanksgiving Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 
So uh, a couple of interesting things happening uh, during the break. You know, we were just talking about Akito Hirose potentially being on the opening night roster, and all the Canucks have since sent down Akito Hirose along with Cole McWard, and they called up Vasily Podkolzin and have since announced their opening night roster, and it does include Vasily Podkolzin here on the opening night roster as the Canucks just releasing that a minute ago. Should I run through the names real quick? Yeah. Brock Besser, Connor Garland, JT Miller, Sam Lafferty, Nils Hoaglander, Pew Suter, Philip DiGiuseppe, Elias Pettersson, Teddy Bluger, Anthony Beauvillier, Dakota Joshua, Vasily Podkolzin, Andre Kuzmenko, Carson Soucy on defense, Philip Horonic, Quinn Hughes, Noah Juleson, Guillaume Brisebois, Tyler Myers, Ian Cole on defense, and your goaltenders, Thatcher Demko, Casey DeSmith. Yeah, and uh, you know, ultimately here, um, we'll see where things are with Ilya Mikheyev, for instance, who is mm-hmm. not mentioned here on the opening night roster. Yeah, and we'll see uh, what his actual status is in terms of IR versus LTIR. Now, I'm not had a full contact practice yesterday. I'm not anticipating LTIR, but a lot of this for the first game is essentially for Vancouver to maximize their LTIR space. So the reason put Colson's coming up, it's not so much for him being an option. Now, depending on who's healthy, maybe he does have to play the first game, depending on, like, you know, uh, how many bodies they actually do have. And it seems like they would have 12 forwards and he'd be the 13th. But you never know. Things can happen, right? But I think he's going down as soon as they can send him down. And this is going to be about them trying to maximize the full $2.5 million in LTIR space. And based on these numbers, it might get. I don't know if they're going to get to zero like last year. They maximized every single dollar yep. last season. I'm not sure they'll get to that. Which uh, had never happened before. Yeah. But they can get pretty close to that now with Putkozin coming up. So I'd view this not so much about an indication of who's actually on the team, more so about an indication of salary cap maneuvering. Yes. Uh, so there it is from the uh, Vancouver Canucks. And, of course, uh, the $2.5 million of LTIR is – on Tucker Pullman's contract as Pullman uh, still unable to play and uh, is unlikely to play. Still has two years left at $2.5 million on Tucker Pullman. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. So it is the eve of the regular season, and we'll get more into the Canucks predictions tomorrow. We will make our playoff prediction for the Canucks here today because we are doing division predictions we have no choice we can't do all these predictions and leave one out but some player props and things like that as we get ready for the season we'll dive more into tomorrow with the vancouver canucks as for today it's time for our league-wide predictions and i kind of just you know when i look at the league sat yeah i see the eastern conference i see a lot of really good teams and then I look at the West, and there's less to choose from. Yeah. Now, that, in theory, should be good for the Canucks, but... Oh, clearly it is. Um, the East is where a lot of the juggernauts lie in the National Hockey League right now. Absolutely. I mean, the East is... like it, it's like it's So, what I did was I kind of broke teams into tiers mm-hmm. a little bit. And let's just look at the top tiers in each league, right? I'm Western Conference, Eastern Conference, each conference. So, I think in the, in the first tier in the West, it's Avalanche, Oilers, Knights, and Stars. Like, I don't think the Kings are in the same tier as those teams. I don't okay. think the Minnesota Wild or the Kraken are in that same tier. In the East, I have the Leafs, Lightning, Devils, Rangers, Hurricanes. Those five teams 
which is one extra team in terms of the higher yep. tier. And then you have in the second tier, Penguins, Capitals, Sabres, Bruins. That's who I have as the next four teams. I, I fade the Panthers because of their injuries a little bit. And I'll give you a spoiler maybe on that one. But, I mean, and that's nine teams that are top two tier teams. Yeah. And it's... Whereas in the it's West... It's really hard to quibble with anything that you mentioned there. No, in the West, to me, it's like that second tier right now. I, the only team I feel confident putting in that tier is like the LA Kings. Because I think yeah. the Wild have taken a step back unless Brock Faber has a huge year and a couple of their prospects really emerge. Otherwise, I see them kind of going back to the group a little bit. Whereas in that second tier in the East, it's like four deep. Well, and that's why, like, you know, I know a big conversation in the East is like, is uh, Buffalo, Detroit, or... Ottawa going to make the jump this year into the playoffs, and I still think it's a really tough road for them. Very tough. I mean, they still have the Panthers and the Islanders to also deal with. So if you quibble with them, you can even say in the second tier, if you want to be, you know, you can even add the Islanders and Panthers, which means your second tier will be six teams deep. Yeah. And three of those teams are missing the playoffs. (laughs) That's rough. That's tough in the Eastern Conference. So that's just sort of a baseline of what to expect this year. Let's start in the East. Uh, we'll start with the Metropolitan Division here. And, you know, the one team, like, I don't think we see too much change as far as the top three goes. It's going to be the Hurricanes. It's going to be the Rangers. going to be the New Jersey Devils for me in the top three of the division. As much as I think the Penguins improved... I don't see them jumping into the top three of the division here, Sat. Oh, it's going to be tough. Like, I don't know. Like, that division in general, like, yeah. I, I have a really hard time really figuring out, like, who's getting in there. So you want to get into just the um, the predictions for the, for the divisions then? Yeah. Metropolitan. So yeah. I've got New Jersey, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Sorry. I've got New Jersey, Carolina, and the Rangers – as my top three. I don't think there's any way you can't pick those three teams. Yeah. Like, I have the Rangers, like Devils, and Hurricanes. They're all over 100 points. For I, have, I have all three of those teams. You can fight. You can argue with who finishes first or second or whatever it is. Semantics. It'll come down to, like, OT losses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what it comes down to. So, I don't think there's any way you can't have those three teams in the same um, same division uh, as the top three. Okay. So, there's uh, your top three in the Metro. In the Atlantic... I don't know if this is a hot take. We'll do the wildcard teams once we're done, the, the two divisions. Uh, in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. I still have the Leafs, Lightning, and Bruins as my top three teams in the Atlantic. <sighs> Man, this is going to get boring, isn't it? Because I, I can disagree. Is the NHL boring? I mean, the East might be, in, in terms of the powerhouses, because I, I can't fade the Bruins. I'm sorry. I go through the, like, yeah, the Bruins may not be as good as they were last year. They may get 20 fewer points than last year. That's still a 110-point team. <laughs> What if they have 30 fewer points? A 102-point team. Yeah. They win 15 less games. That's still 50 wins. Yeah. Yes, it's insane. It's insane. And, and yeah, I mean, they don't have Bergeron, right? They yeah. don't have Krejci. That, those are two huge losses, as good as Bergeron was. But I don't think Bergeron is worth 15 wins. No. He's worth a lot. But. Or, like, oh, sorry, 15 he might be. He's not worth 20 wins is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, they're not going to yeah. be, like, a 92-point team is, yes. is what I'm saying. Um. It, look, the biggest question with the Bruins is can Pavel Zaka and the rest of the, the centermen that they will be trotting out there do enough? But the team overall, like their back end is still among the best in the league, going to be good in goal, and they're going to be a well-drilled hockey team. So it's hard to fade the Bruins too much. The Lightning, even with the Vasilevsky injury, there's just a level of trust we all have in the Lightning. So 
neither of us are fading the top three in the Atlantic. Where I do have some changes in the playoffs, well, at least one, is in the wild card. And I have Pittsburgh getting back in. Okay, so I have Pittsburgh as a wild card team as well. Who's your second wild card team? My second wild card team? If you say the same team I have, I'm just going to throw. Because <laughs> like, we, we said before the show, I'm like, hey, let's not share who we have. And yes. we'll just have like a real, you know, an honest reaction on air. Mm-hmm. It's getting kind of boring, to be honest. I still have Florida. You as, do? As my uh, oh, wild card God. team. No, I got the Capitals. You have the Capitals. I have the Capitals. Big on the Capitals. Okay, I need, I need, I need an explanation here. Okay, so Capitals last year had devastating injuries. Yeah. Right, and I think Darcy Kemper is actually decent. Had a decent season. Their defense is underrated. You have John Carlson. You have Nick Jensen. Trevor Van, Van Reems, like Marcus Ferreveri, who we've spoken about, who's underrated. I think. Good Hungarian name. Love yes, it. Yes, no doubt. And Rasmus Sandin, who I think is going to be a good player for them, has looked pretty good. He's the guy to give up first round pick for. And even Alexiev, I think they have a. Their defense, I think it's somewhat flies under the radar, like as being decent. You know, I, I like their goaltending. And up front, I, I mean, I think they still have a lot of firepower. And I think Max Pacioretty, as the season goes on and gets healthy, I think that's a bit of an underrated addition. Dylan Strom gives him a little bit of depth as well. Uh, I like the way Sonny Milano fit in on that team. Mm-hmm. I think that they're an experienced hockey team. I think they have more depth. And I just feel like they're probably not going to have as many injuries as last year. So I see them getting back in. The Carlson injury last year was really tough for them yeah. to overcome. Yeah, uh, really you, tough. You you get uh, your number one D back and maybe better times ahead for Washington. I don't know if I see it to quite the same level. Florida, I know they've got some injuries to start the season, but I think they're still going to score a bunch. Yeah, it comes down to Red Wings, Sens, and, and Sabres. Like, do one of those teams really push? So... I still don't think the Sabres defend well enough, and I don't think they have enough two-way players. I think as the season goes on, like I just think they're. I don't That's know if they my have beef enough. with the Sabres too. Yeah, like I think they'll score a bunch. I don't know how well they can defend as a team. It was between Ottawa and Florida for me for that final wild card spot, and the concern I have with Ottawa right now, Norris is not fully recovered from his injury, and there's still some uncertainty as to when he's going to start playing. They don't have Shane Pinto signed, yeah. so. You know, you're kind of starting behind the eight ball at the center position early on this season. Are you going to be able to overcome that? Because if they do struggle out of the gate, it might be tough for them to dig out of that hole in what is such a difficult Eastern Conference. Uh, So there's your predictions in the East. Let's move to the West, the Central Division. And I want to hear yours first this time around. All right. So I got Colorado, Dallas, the first two teams. And then I I had a bit of a I really I had to like really challenge myself not to pick Minnesota, and I still ended up picking Minnesota. And I, like they're a team that I kind of want to fade cuz you go through their roster and it's like it's not that impressive. They have a few guys up front. They're a first round loss team. They are, right? Like they're a team that there's a lot there, but at the same time there's also a lot that's not there. Mm-hmm. It depends on Will, will they finally get the contributions from their young players have been waiting for? Does Rossi finally crack through and yeah. give them something? And more importantly, on the back end, they need they need Brock Faber to be a top four guy and Kalen Addison to be more steady. Because if yeah. those guys aren't it, you literally have Spurgeon and you have Brodine and that's it. And then it's like Middleton, a bunch of like kind of like, it's kind of like Vancouver to some extent. So if you want to fade Vancouver's defense, like who do you like better, Hironic and yeah. Hughes or Spurgeon and Brodine? Like I'd, I'd rather take Hughes because he's the best out of the bunch. The rest is kind of like, eh, okay. So that hinges on that. But I still feel better about how they play as a team. 
than I do about the Blues, than I do about even Winnipeg, yeah. and perhaps even the Preds. I think the Blues are really going to struggle this year. Uh, Nashville is the all-vibes team, but I don't think that gets them into the playoffs. <laughs> and so Minnesota, as unfun as it is, because their floor is probably the highest as a team, they're my pick as well to go in alongside Dallas and Colorado. I have concerns about Winnipeg. I don't know, like, yeah, they just gave Shifley and Hellebuck those massive contracts. But it's almost like, oh, hey, we realized we weren't really going to get to go to the places we wanted to, and teams weren't bearing down the doors for us in trade. I guess we'll just take the money now from Winnipeg. Yes. And there's been a lot of concerns about the Jets. There's been a lot of talk about their room and different things like that. I think there's just like there's potential for it to work, but there's also an equal potential for it to be a disaster in Winnipeg. Now and I'm, I'm picking the latter. Yeah, and now I want to be honest. Uh, I'm you know I worked on all these over the course like, over the course of the off season. I've been really like you know tracking every team, and I've been like making a list of my own spreadsheets, and I've been trying to look at and having teams in tiers, like I mentioned before. I I viewed Winnipeg as being having issues because Hellebuck and Shifley. Now that they've signed those guys. To me, that's the team that could overtake Minnesota. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think, you know, I think getting Kupari was a nice addition. I think Velarde gives him a little bit of scoring depth. And you can put a price on having a better environment on your team. I think their defense is still decent. Like, Hellebuck's a good goaltender. Like, I think there's potential here that they're a good team this season. So I might regret not picking Minnesota. I'm not picking Winnipeg over Minnesota. Uh, all right, and into the Pacific Division we go, and this is where the gauntlet is with your Vancouver Canucks. You have Seattle, Vegas, L.A., and Edmonton that all made the playoffs last year, plus Calgary looking for a bounce back as well. That is, uh, if I do my math correctly, one, two, carry the one. That's six teams. Six teams, yes. Vying for playoff spots in one division here, Sat. And not all teams can make the playoffs either. Like, no. literally one is going to have to. At most five. Yes. So, at, 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 at the very least, one team is going to be on the outside looking. At the very least, right? Um, so, I have Edmonton and Vegas as my top two teams. Who are your top two teams? Like, is there any way it's no, not it's, Vegas? You're, we're not fading those two. No. So, so, it comes down to third in the division. And this is where my biggest surprise pick comes. Uh, I'm buying a lot of what the Canucks have been selling in preseason. (laughs) Improved penalty kill. Oh, my goodness. Phil DiGiuseppe vibes for the win. Oh, wow. I thought I saw an empty glass of Kool-Aid in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) PDG's magic juice. Um, I just, I'm believing in in Rick Tockett and everything he's selling with this team. We're going to see uh, different Canucks this season and wow. they sneak into the third spot in the Pacific Division, which I don't know if that's what you're going to end up wanting it to be because you're going to end up in with Vegas or the Oilers in round one. But, hey, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. It'll be difficult. Canucks will finish third in the division. Yeah, I mean, you either finish – you either play Edmonton or Vegas or you're either playing Vegas, Edmonton – Dallas or Colorado like either way you're playing one of the four best teams in the league no yep. matter what yep. in the first round that's just the way the west is like the higher tier is good the less rest is a bit of an issue I don't have that I'll mention to you like the team I kind of wanted to fade because I do have some questions about the number of changes they made on their back end yeah they still don't have a great goaltender but I can't get over the center depth which might be the best in the National Hockey League you have Kopitar you have Dubois you have Philip Deneau and I'm talking about the LA Kings yeah I gotta go with the Kings at number three and like I said, I see some potential here for falling apart. 
I may call myself a coward, just like the Minnesota thing that I didn't pick them. But I just still look at it and say they're going to be able to control play in the offensive zone. I think that's going to help them a big way. So I still got to go to the LA Kings. Uh, I have um, I've faded the Kings entirely, which is crazy. And it may be an unfortunate position to put myself in. But I have the Flames and the Kings. Uh, I Sorry, I have the Flames and the Kraken going to the playoffs and the Kings on the outside. I don't know. You're going into the season with Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley as your goaltenders. And I know wow. they got by with bad goaltending last year. But we'll see. It's wow. my boldest prediction of the day. Right, I like it. I like it. We needed something different. So you have the Kings missing out right. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the wildcard teams then. Three wildcard teams. Flames and Kraken. Phil's Flames and Kraken. All right. I, I have the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. And I have the Vancouver Canucks taking the wild, final wildcard spot. All right. I have them getting in. I have them getting in. But I have them getting in getting in on one of the wildcards. So you spots. faded the Flames. Fade entire. the Flames. I faded the Flames. And as much as I kind of... Sat faded the Flames last year. was one of the only people to fade the Flames last year. <laughs> and Richie left a sip of Kool-Aid for Sat. Yes. Yeah. A little bit of Kool-Aid. Give me some Kool-Aid. I have some Kool-Aid. <laughs> but I, mean, I don't think it's ridiculous to have the Canucks making, making it as a wild card. Like, I think if you look, compare them to all those teams, like, I think with Calgary, even Seattle, we're all talking about teams that probably project to be 91 to 94 points. I don't see any of those teams being projected to be like a 95 to 100 point team. Like, think they're kind of in that same tier. So, like, pick your fighter. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with these guys. I still look at Calgary and I say, too many guys who are UFAs. Yeah. Too many guys. It's fair. I, don't, I just don't know if they're going to be able to figure it all out. And I have some concerns about the age of their forward group as well. Yeah. If the Canucks play within themselves and everything goes right, a wild card is a realistic possibility. Yeah. Not a division. No. <laughs> hey, man, listen, we got to have hot takes. I like it. All right. Sweet. All I right. mean, look, the difference between a spot as the division team and a wild card spot isn't all that large. Like, the Kings were at 104 last year. The Kraken were at 100. So, you're talking about two or three wins. Mm -hmm. That makes the difference between being a wild card and potentially being top three in the division. Yeah. Um, Conference finals. Let's do that. Conference finals. Who's your Western Conference finalists? All right. Uh, so I ended up going with the Edmonton Oilers and getting to the conference final against the Dallas Stars. Ooh. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I got the Stars getting to the conference final against the Oilers. So I have um, I have Vegas going back to the conference finals all right. and the Colorado Avalanche. Ooh, that'd be a fun one. I'm I'd be all for like, watching that. Yeah, like, uh, you know, not that... Look, Landeskog would be out for, what, two years if he's able to return for the playoffs as Colorado has not ruled that op that option out yet. But Colorado is interesting. I, I kind of want to buy the Jonathan Drouin thing. <laughs> Do you, though? Like, it, it would be a fun story to see Drouin reunited with McKinnon and everything works and they're scoring for fun. And Again, it's preseason. Everyone's, yeah. like, losing it over preseason. It's like, I'm, okay. not, I'm not losing it over No, I'm on you. I'm just Drouin's saying everybody. A, just, he's, he's an uber-talented hockey player. Just He'll be a nice support out. piece at yeah. best. And That's not being disrespectful. Yeah, he might have a good year and get healthy scratch in the playoffs. I can buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Eisenberg would be like, yep. Uh, I see it. Is that that's what I thought he was. And the way Steve Eisenman worked that, it, that's what earned him his reputation. Everything he's done in, in Detroit is kind of ruining it a little bit, but what he did in Tampa was pretty elite. Uh, okay. Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference. 
I'm taking Toronto. What? And the New Jersey Devils. What? Okay, the Devils I get. So so my initial reaction looking at the Atlantic Division was, well, Tampa's doesn't quite look as formidable. The Stankos thing, you know, how does that hang over their head if he's getting extended? Vasilevsky's kind of has been injured to start the year. They, they lost a couple of guys. And, you know, where's their team at? The Bruins obviously are not the same team again. But then I'm like, why would I, by default, give the Leafs the edge yeah. when their defense looks not great? Yeah. Their goaltending is a huge question mark. Yeah. And, like, I'm not sold on their coach having success in the playoffs yet either. So it's like, for me, if I picked the Leafs, I'd be taking a leap, and that's why I couldn't. So I have the Lightning and Rangers in the conference final. Lightning and Rangers. Yeah. Rangers I'm still a little bit lukewarm on. Is is it because of the environment or is it the talent? Because I, I, I'm hard pressed. It's not to fi- the talent. I'm hard pressed to find a roster in the National Hockey League that's more complete than the Rangers. I uh, I guess I just need to see Peter Laviolette sort yeah. of work some magic with that team. But one thing he does great, his first year he nails it. Yeah. His first year with the team, usually they're they're on fire. Laviolette wow. needs his abandoned ads and Panarin to buy it. If yeah. they don't, the Rangers are not. No, and usually he's special. he's good the first year or two to get guys to buy in. And is that enough? Like if you look at his success, look at Carolina, look even in Washington, even Nashville, his first couple years they're great. Yeah. And then after that people tune him out. But I just wonder with those two guys yeah. that I mentioned, best based on where they're at in terms of their contracts and how much money they've made, are they willing to buy in? Um and so Jersey Toronto for me. Look, I, I see all of your concerns about Toronto. I just feel like they're going into this year. Nylander, Bertuzzi, Domi, like all these guys that they've got on UFAs. Brad Living's already like, all right, this is yeah. it. Like I'm throwing everything at the wall to try and make this work this season, even though that they've you know, got Austin Matthews now down to a deal for another four years. I just feel like this is the Leafs have to feel like this is their year because they're not bringing – I don't see how they bring back Nylander. So yeah. you have to sort of view this year as – we are doing anything to make sure that we do everything to get to the promised land. They're Leafs just, are a little stickier. Yeah. Just, I they're, love that word from talking. Sticky, yeah, a little stickier. But the one thing about them, too, is they're so much like the Blue Jays. It's like they have clear holes. Like, we'll address them as the season goes on. It's like, yeah. will you actually? And I think Klingberg's in for a bit of a bounce back here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who can defend on that blue line? That's yeah. my question. That's it's a very good question. Um, all right. So who do you have going to the final, then? All right, so I have the New York Rangers versus the Edmonton Oilers, and I got the Rangers winning the cup. Mm. I'm big on the Rangers this year. Big on the Rangers. Yeah. I have uh, New Jersey, Colorado. Not sure how much uh, Gary Bettman loves that. Uh, and Colorado is going to be your champion again. Oh, yeah, I got the Rangers 2001 all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't happened before, but it happens again. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I have it. I mean, but, but honestly, like, I, I think the East is so hard to handicap. I just like the Rangers. I don't see any holes in their defense. They have checking forwards. They have physical forwards. They have scoring forwards. They have size. They have a bit of everything. They have skill, speed. As, if they get tuned in together, I just think they're going to be a terror. Plus, you have Shesterkin. He's pretty good. Uh, so, for me, it's uh, Colorado winning it. For Sat, the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton Oilers. So, you want to do the uh, player awards tomorrow with the Canucks predictions? We'll then? have to do it tomorrow. Right. Sounds good. Your Hart Trophy, your Vesna, your Calder. Will it be Connor Bedard or will it be somebody else? <laughs> Who's it going to be? Uh, all right. So we'll do all of that tomorrow and uh, we'll get fired up for it here on Canuck Central, the eve of the Canuck season. That'll be tomorrow's program. 
For producers Eddie and Elon, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.